out of nowhere, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not dating anybody. Yeah. But do you think if you finally like did your hair a little different, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Yep, that's dick. the reason. That's, oh my God, you're right. Curls. I haven't found the love of my life because I don't have curls. Thank you. It's so helpful. Welcome to another episode of Finding Mr. Hyde, the podcast. I'm Allie, back with my co-host Erica, and Penny and Logan are cats that are, if you are watching the video on the Patreon, or not cats, are pets. If you are watching video on the Patreon, you are uh, seeing. Yes, I have a little temporary pet this week that has its back turned to me, but you know what? It's uh, another great dog. Another great dog. I'm becoming more of a dog person by each dog that I watch. I'm loving this for you. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Obviously, people can see the episode length by now. A little bit of a long one, but we were hitting it off with our guest. Oh, man. Had a great time talking to her. Covered a lot of topics that were submitted and extra things. Uh, and I, I don't want this to sound negative. I know she listens to the show. I was very pleasantly surprised. I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm a bit skeptical of life coaching. Can I say that? Yeah, she said that herself. Yeah, she said it herself. But I, I was in the category and she addressed it right up top like, I, I know. I know what everybody's talking about when they're like, fuck these life coaches <laughs> and who are they to tell me and whatever. Right. Not at all. The vibe. I was like, I was very pleasantly surprised. So she won me over. She won yeah. me over. I mean, I think she, she also was pleasantly surprised by life coaching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's the story she told. Very true. Like she was super skeptical and then she was like, wait a minute. So yeah, we, I, I could have talked to her forever. And then, uh, also, we not only talked to her for a long time on the recording, but then after we hit stop, we talked for like another 45 minutes, maybe close to an hour. Yeah, she's a very, very wonderful guest. I think we're probably going to have her on the Patreon for an uncensored. We already talked to her about that. Um, yes. But yeah, if you're if you're someone like me that you're like, I don't really know about this, give this give this episode a chance. I think it's going to open your eyes a little bit. It did Agreed. for me. So Yeah, it, it was wonderful. So I've talked a little bit on the pod about how I've been trying to extend my damp January into into future months. And I have really been enjoying recess mocktails as a way to have what feels like a fancy drink at home, but without the alcohol. Yeah. And also it's nice to have something in your fridge that just has a little bit of flavor. Totally. And they're they're delicious. They're made with real fruit, sweetened with agave, and again, zero percent alcohol. So just a nice, nice little flavorful drink that is a little little play on our favorites here. They got a bunch of great flavors. My personal favorite is the recess watermelon mojito. I actually like to garnish it like it's a actual cocktail. Like I put it in a coupe glass, feel it all fancy, garnish it with a little sprig of mint. It is delicious. And my favorite is the recess ginger lime mule. I'm a ginger gal. And what I love also, not too sweet. Perfect amount of just a little little sweet treat. They're absolutely delicious. And you can get 15% off recess mocktails now at takearecess.com slash FMH. So you can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences. Um... So last week I talked about how I was going on a date with the guy who had been out of town. Went on that first date and I had a great ass time. I'm so excited. It was, so I I was pleasantly surprised to use your phrase because it was a Saturday afternoon date. We went out like a Saturday afternoon, just, you know, could be, could be fun, could be awkward. Like, you know, the broad daylight, there's like not that many people at the bar. It's really just us. Turns mm-hmm. out he doesn't drink, which I didn't know until I got there. Fine. Yeah. Still a fun time. It it was because he didn't care. 
And mm-hmm. also he he picked a cocktail spot. Like he was fine. Yeah. But it was just so easy. Like we I belly laughed more times than I can even count. And we were like going back and forth and like riffing off of things each other were saying. Like it was just like we were building on each other's conversation topics. That's how it should be. Agreed. It was awesome. We're calling him Speed Racer, um, which I will explain because it's like a little bit of a weird one. But he told this hilarious story about a speed dating experience that he had where he was in his 20s and like went basically got dragged to a speed dating event and decided to just like fuck with everyone and made up a fake name and at each table made up a different life story. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Not, not advice. (laughs) I didn't know this. I didn't know this till just now. Yeah. I was like, I would, I would never advise someone to do this, but no, he was, he was 24. He was like, I was just like fucking around. Like, he's like, I would never do this normally or now. Mm -hmm. He's like, I would never do that now. Like, but at the time, it was really fucking funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you get dragged to it, it's also a form of rebellion. Exactly. I would more look like at his, it like that. His friend made him go. And he was like, fuck this. Like, I'm only going because my friend is making me go. And then he was like playing this game where he could see like how ridiculous his job could be before somebody would be like, wait a minute. Right. Like, yeah. you're not a space farmer. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I mean, that would test. I don't know how you don't call that out. That's a pretty, that's a pretty wild one. Yeah. Pretty egregious. Um, so anyway, that's why he's speed racer. Um, and we just had so much fun. It was nice because he had somewhere to be afterwards. He was like going to meet friends, which we had already talked about in the beginning. So it was like an automatic out. We knew the date was only going to be 90 minutes max. Perfect timing. Didn't feel like we were like running out of things to talk about. I love it. Let yeah. you wanting more. Do you have another date on the books? I mean, I'm sorry to jump your story, but I'm curious. So he's out of town again. He travels a lot for work. He's out of town again. And so after the date or when we were done, we wrapped up, paid the check, et cetera. And we were walking. We went out um, to one of my favorite bars, by the way. Shout out Dick and Jane's if you live in Brooklyn or New York City. Dick and Jane's in Fort Greene is great. Um, So we left. Because he doesn't drink. So he picked a great mocktail spot as well. Yes. So if you don't drink, Mm -hmm. add it to the repertoire. Yeah. Yes, which yeah, exactly. That's turns out that's why he picked it, or one of the reasons is because they have an extensive mocktail list. So we were walking through Fort Greene. It's super crowded. It was a beautiful Saturday. And so we parted ways on the street corner. And it was one of those things where like if it had been nighttime and a deserted street corner, I probably would have wanted to kiss him. Like the date went well. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, it's broad daylight. We're in the Fort Greene farmers market. Like, I don't think, I don't think we need to have our first kiss right here in front of like the cheesemonger guy. And so, but as you would have got a free sample, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe the cheese guy would have been inspired. People love love, you know, people People love love. People do. Come on. But I agree with you. A daytime, first time. Yeah. I was like, we don't need to make out on the street right now. Um, And so, but as we were walking, he was telling me about how he's going out of town again for work. And he said, but I had so much fun today. I would love to do this again when I'm back. Like, I'll let you know when I get back, et cetera. And then he gave me a very intentional kiss on the cheek. And what I mean by intentional is that I never felt in danger that he was trying to make out in the farmer's market. Mm -hmm. Yes. It was just very nice. Like, he like, he like, he went to like to the side. (laughs) So it was very clear. clear. It was very clear. I appreciate that. 
Um, and I said, yes. And so he's there currently. I'm assuming it'll be a similar situation to when we had first matched and he said something similar about how he was traveling for work, but he'd like, let me know when he was back. And then he did. I'm assuming, I mean, he said that would be the same thing again. So. Okay. Love it. Yeah. I was thinking about like checking in maybe and just like asking him how the trip trip is going. Up to you. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see how I'm feeling. Um, so hopefully we'll be going on a second date. And I also have a first date on the books with a new guy from Bumble. Oh. Who I have put my money where my mouth is and told him that I would prefer to get to know each other more on the date rather than message so much every day leading into it. Yeah, reasonable. You're like, I like you. You didn't get creepy. You've you've won a date. You are <laughs> you've in won a on date. the date. You know what I mean? The only thing you could only talk yourself out of a date at this point. Yes, exactly. That's what Not I. Not that I expect that to happen, but that is the only thing that would happen from here on out. So let's just mm-hmm. like cut it, and we will chat then. Okay, I love that. What is um, what is the update on the stout? There is no update on the stout, and well, I guess there is an update in that there's no update. But I actually think. If okay, let me let me back up. So I had agreed to like plan our next date, right? Like decide what we're yeah. gonna do. He had suggested a day that I'm not in town. I'm go I'm like literally not in town. It's not like I have other plans or something. I'm mm-hmm. gone. Cannot go out. I suggested two other nights that I was available before I leave for that trip. He said he would get back to me about like working that out to be free on one of those nights. And he never did. And then he did then text me like a, how's your day going kind of thing a couple days later. And we had like a little interaction and I'm like, you, I was Mm. waiting to hear when you were free. Yeah. It's not even a follow up. Like I wasn't able to move stuff around. No, let's try again next week. How's your day? Right. Yes. Like that would have been like, that would have been totally fine. So honestly, I think at this point, at this point, if I don't hear from him, I'm just going to leave it because like the ball was in his court and he dropped it. Mm -hmm. If I do hear from him and it is not something exactly like you said, I think I'm going to call it and like actively end things because it just doesn't seem like we're on the same page in terms of like setting aside time to make this happen. Interesting. Okay. This kind of brings up, I don't know if you've seen, um, Matchmaker Maria uh, has recently been ranting about a little bit, but I like it, about how a guy should ask you out for a second date in three days, is what she's saying. Oh, interesting. She's given a hard rule to her people, her followers, saying if he doesn't ask you out within three days of the first date, like, done, move on with it. Wow. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but it's very interesting because she's not the type to give kind of rules like that, you know what I mean? What what reason does she give for three specifically? Why three? Well, I mean, her whole clientele is men. So she deals with uh-huh. men and setting up men. So it's like, I think, first of all, she just has seen the pattern that she's like, when mm-hmm. a guy goes on a great date and wants to see you again, he doesn't drag his feet about it. So I agree with that, you know? Yeah. Um, but there's it's interesting. She said some stuff like, almost like it's insulting if he waits like five, seven days, like like he's not sure about you in a way. Or is keeping you around as an option, like, in the back pocket? Like, okay, I'll, I'll show enough interest that you're around, but I don't, I don't know. It's, it's very interesting to me. I feel like it's a, 
I feel like it's a little extreme, but I don't dislike it. Because I'm trying to think, I, like, any second dates I went on, how quickly was I asked out on that second date? It was pretty quick. I think so, too. I think I think I like it if you are in the camp that you definitely want the other person to be the one asking you out. Which I'm I'm not. Like, I think it can go both ways. But if you are, if you are the person, and this would mostly be women who date men, just Mm -hmm. generally if you are if you are somebody who wants the guy to be the one always for that second date specifically to ask you out then i think something like that makes sense because then it's like i agree if i if i'm not thinking hey i want to text this person about when we're going out within that amount of time i'm also probably not that interested yeah you just reminded me she does have I don't know if it's a rule or advice that she says men should initiate the second date. She doesn't give a fuck who initiates the first. Um, But so you basically agree. Let's take gender out of it. Whoever wants another date should bring it up within three days. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm like, if like three is my line. I'm not saying this is like like officially your hard rule, but that's what I took from what you just said is you're like, well, yeah, if I was interested, I wouldn't drag my feet on a week to. No, I think it feels about right. That like, yeah a few days after because also if I'm thinking about like we're all busy right so like let's say I go out with a guy on a Thursday night and and I'm going to schedule a second date with him and we don't have that date spoken about and decided by what is that Monday feels unlikely we're going to get on that date that week and now you're going now you're like over a week and a half into the distance between your first and second date. And I feel like as I'm getting closer to two weeks in between dates one and two, that's dangerous territory. Yeah. Yeah. Because momentum is important with building Mm -hmm. a relationship. So I think that's also where it comes from when she talks about it. Like things should be moving. You should be excited to be seeing this person and getting the ball moving and, and not let it, I don't know what the opposite of that would be. But you know what I mean? It's just interesting because it's, uh, I've seen her like a little fired up about it and I'm, uh, I'm intrigued to ask her really personally, but, um, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I feel like anytime I've been like, I don't know, my mind wasn't made up by three days that I wanted a second date. At the end of the day, I didn't really care if I had a second date. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Especially because my framework on a second date is not like, oh my God, I just met my husband. Like, I don't have to be that sure. Like, it doesn't take the moon for me to want a second date with someone. So if I'm not sure after that amount of time, it's probably a no. Probably. So I think we're proving her rule to be kind of correct. Yeah, I just, I'm, the gendered part of it for me doesn't factor in, but I agree with the general, like, interest level after that amount of time, for sure. Yeah, right. Agreed. Agreed on the interest level. Yeah. Um, so no. So basically, Stout, you heard it here first on the pod. Sounds like not. No more. Unless he comes back correctly. <laughs> or, he, I don't know how to phrase that. He, he better come correct. No. I mean, kind of. Um, kind of, though. Kind of, though. Like, I feel like because for me, it is really important to date somebody that wants to prioritize dating me. And like, yeah, I'm busy. We're all busy. We're making time for the things that are important to us. And it also is important to me to date somebody who likes to plan in advance. It doesn't have to be crazy amounts of time in advance, but like generally speaking, I like I like to know what I'm doing that week. Yeah. 
No, I get it. Reasonable. And if he's not like that, then we might just not be compatible. Yeah, because there is something too. Again, I think this is a matchmaker Maria thing. Where I've thought about this, right? Where it's like I work at night, so like I I should be trying to keep nights, some nights of my week open for a potential date. Mm. Or even just my social life with friends, yada yeah. yada. I've found if I only make it two nights a week, one is usually us podcasting. And then the other night I'm just so tired. I don't want to do anything with anybody. Yep. So then it's like, okay, I have to ask myself, like, am I prioritizing dating in general? If I'm essentially booking my schedule in a way that does not have free time open. Mm. And it's, and it's hard when for me it's work. It's like, that's a night that I'm not making money. So it's very hard for me to be like fully no. And I've been very, I do not want to bring like first dates to shows. Absolutely not on that front. Just cause it's like, that's, yeah. that's literally like if I brought someone to an office, I know everyone there and everyone's like, who's this guy? So no. Um, but I have like a weird kind of compromise with it. I I'm supposed to go on a date next week after my show. Oh yeah. Which I was like, I think that actually might be a sweet spot for me because it's like, I'm already out. I'm already dressed. I'm already putting on makeup. Like we're there and all the we're stuff. doing it. And, it, and I don't have to worry about, you know, the time limit and whatnot. So when I get those shows in the sweet spot time, like my show's 7.30, so I'm meeting this guy at like 8. Okay. Um, that's my way of kind of a compromise between the two, right? I like that. New method. Something I've been is like the, thinking about. Is this a dating app guy? Uh, this is a new dating app guy, yeah, that I matched with. Um, and something, yeah, yeah. So we're supposed to go out next week. He was too busy. But like, hey, we got the plans on the books. It's happening. And it was a night I had to come into the city anyway. So it'll be great. Um, I like it. Yeah. And then the only other update I had was kind of a non-update update of the, uh, we didn't even have a nickname. The guy I met um, at the bar. I think I called him golf man. I don't know. Somebody anyway. in my DM said that you should call him burger, which is also a sex in the city oh, God. reference. Yeah. But this Maybe. is before they knew that it wouldn't matter. Yeah, but it was a burger conversation, so I don't, I yeah. don't hate that. I don't hate that. Um, we'll call him Burger because it doesn't matter because I did not hear from this man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I ended up not hearing anything. A detail I forgot to include was that um, with him loving comedy and finding out I was a comedian, it was also very like, oh, I got to look up your stuff. And I didn't think mm. of anything in the moment about it. And then later I was like, oh, yeah, if you look up my stuff, I now have jokes that are public on YouTube that I reveal I have herpes. Is that a factor? Is it not a factor? I don't know. It's hard for me to sometimes believe it's not. Because I was like, I, there was a vibe. I'm like, I don't think I was crazy to be like, there was some sort no. of vibe here. Or even, like I said, on a friendship level. Um, but yeah, just there's no update on it. I didn't hear anything. But I don't know. I kind of threw it to the birds on that one. Like, I felt like we vibed. I mentioned hanging out again. So I felt like the interest was known. The interest was yeah, known. You were not going to get rejected. That's all I could do, you know? Yeah, I think you did great. Thank you so much. (laughs) RIP. Well, I am so excited. You mentioned it up top. I'm so excited to get to our interview with Rochelle. It's, I'm just, I'm I'm pumped for everyone to hear it and to also be pleasantly surprised. Yes, I think you will be. I was. So without further ado, let's get to our guest. Listen up, guys. If you haven't heard yet, we're coming to the DC Comedy Loft for another live podcast Thursday, March 21st. Get your tickets. We are 
I think over halfway sold out already. Well over halfway sold out. So get your tickets if you want to come experience some magic live. We want to meet you. We want to talk to you. We're going to have so much fun. And it's also Allie's birthday that week. It is my birthday that week. So, and my mom might be there. I'm excited. You can go to findingmrhyde.com slash live to find an easy link also in our bios to get those tickets. And we are going to have an after party afterwards where we can really meet and greet, talk to everybody somewhere in the area. Yeah. So make sure you come DC Comedy Loft Thursday, March 21st. And if you want to check out some stand up, I'm going to be there all weekend. So Friday and that Saturday, I'll be doing stand up shows. Start swiping on Hinge, bring a date, have a good time. And You'll, you can come and meet Allie's mom, which we still have some spots left on our Portugal trip. And a little update on that. A few of you reached out to us about, hey, I want to come either, unfortunately, I don't have my mom anymore, or I want to come with my aunt. I want to come with my sister. I just want to come with a friend. The trip is officially open to anybody that would like to come, as long as you don't mind. Half the trip being moms and daughter combos. Everybody's excited to come. Doesn't matter. You are welcome to join. Travel with us. It's going to be so, so fun. You can also check that out at findingmrhight.com slash podcast. If you have any questions about it, feel free to reach out. We're happy to answer anything. We're just so excited to be there with our moms and with you. Yep. Next October, October 4th through 10th. Check it out. Come travel with us too. And we are back with Rochelle. Hi, Rochelle. Welcome to Finding Mr. Height, the podcast. Hi. It's good to be here. How are you, ladies? Doing well. We're excited to chat with you. Yeah. I'm so excited to finally be on. We've been talking about this for a while, so I'm super excited. So you are a life coach. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious, how do you get into life coaching? How does that start? What's the process? Is there a certification? There is. So I started with, I used to live in Los Angeles, the land of 20-year-old life coaches and in (laughs) yoga pants. Um, And so I I started originally, um, I wrote for stand-up comedians. So I had a lot of really great jokes in LA about life coaches because I thought it was the most bullshit career that there ever was. Um, So I was the queen of a good life coaching joke. And then I moved to Oregon and I started looking at trying to help get human sexuality into schools. Like there's a really great program out of the Netherlands that starts teaching about human sexuality starting in like five years old all the way up to 18. So I worked with a therapist really trying to get those into school districts. And in that process, she became a life coach. And I was like, that sounds ridiculous. Why the hell would you have a really awesome profession of a therapist and then become a fucking life coach? And But I watched her do the process and I watched how amazing it was. And I went, damn, that is really, really awesome and could see how it can help in a completely different way than therapy. And at one point she came to me and she's like, you're doing a great job, but I'm firing you because you need to become a life coach. And I was like, well, that is absolutely, I hate you. Go fuck yourself. And I went to my therapist that day and was like, this bitch. And my therapist was like, oh my God, I'm so glad she said it because I could never say anything. And I, ever since I met you, was like, she'd be an amazing life coach. So I'm so glad. No way. I was like, that's crazy. And so then I looked at like, well, but I'd want to go to schooling for it because I didn't want to be, I mean, I wasn't 20 in yoga pants anymore, but I didn't, you know, I wanted to make sure that I had the certification. So I went to an international coaching school um, that brought people from all over the world in to teach what it is to work internationally. And the specialty was neuro-linguistic programming and neuroscience, because I really wanted the neuroscience behind habits and why we do the things we do. And then I did it for a couple of years and then COVID hit and 
thankfully I was able to help. And I started making videos on TikTok and Instagram that just blew up about, you know, really trying to help people get through the pandemic. And it's just sort of took off from there. And I believe me, whenever I come across my old jokes about life coaching, I'm like, the universe has a better sense of humor than I do. (laughs) I love that. That's like, I I feel like it's almost like the best advertisement for your own services that you're like, I thought it was bullshit. And then I started doing it. And I was like, oh shit, this is actually my calling and the greatest thing ever. The One of my favorite put downs about life coaching that I ever got on social media is somebody said life coaches are Walmart therapists. And I want that on my business card so bad. I was like, that is so hilarious and amazing. And I wish that had been my joke back when I got paid to write jokes. Uh, so I I loved that. I thought that was, um, I thought that was great. <laughs> I need that on mine. What would you say, like, because Erica and I were kind of talking about as we were prepping for this episode, like, you know, if we went to a life coach, like, what would we, what what would we like employ them for? What would you say is the most common area that people are looking to kind of like navigate through or looking for your guidance on? Yeah. So I always say, because people often also ask like, how is it different than therapy? And I would say Mm -hmm. therapy is really looking at your past and about what got you here, looking at trauma, though they're trained for trauma, OCD, eating disorders, uh, you know, real serious mental health crisis that we often all come across. And life coaches, I would say I work in mental health, not mental illness. So I'm working with the people who get left behind. Therapists are so busy right now with really big, serious traumas that people are going through that they need support for. But then the everyday person that just needs a little extra help and support gets left behind. So life coaching is really about um, how do we deal with procrastination? How do we deal with imposter syndrome? How do you actually make goals and meet them? How the hell do you have boundaries with friends and family? How do you talk about sex in a relationship? Like, And that's my platform is the shit they should have taught us in school, but didn't because I'm so passionate about why the hell are we not teaching these skills in school? Why are we just letting people figure it out along with trying to figure out their taxes? You know, these are the things we really need to be teaching. So people come for, I get a lot of people, I'm stuck in life and I I want to move forward. I want something different. I don't even know where to start. So those are my sort of favorite. What's my passion? What's my purpose? Um, you know, I figured out some of my past and that sort of thing, but I don't know where to go forward. I'm just not happy here. So it seems like career-based is one of the top reasons. It is one of the top reasons. It's definitely the reason people are um, are most likely to go to a life coach because they're used to coaching being like either sports or career. And I got a lot of that in the beginning. And now I would say it's more the existential crisis of I'm not happy in my life. I'm not happy in my marriage. I'm not happy with work. I don't have any hobbies. I don't like my friend group. It is more, um, you know, people come, can I talk to you about work? Well, sure, because it is a part of your life, which you can also talk about these other aspects. And I always remember, remind clients that how you do anything is how you do everything. So when somebody's got an issue at work, I'm like, okay, well, where, where does that show up in your relationship? How is that showing up at home? People come to me and say, I'm having issues with boundaries at work. And I say, okay, great. Tell me about how you keep boundaries with yourself. And they're like, Oh shit. Yeah, I don't do that either. I'm like, right. Exactly. Because how you do anything is is how you do everything. Sometimes we'll start a session talking about 
problems with their boss and it'll work into issues of communication in the bedroom. Not that they're sleeping with their boss, but it's how you do anything is how you do everything. So that's sort of why it's life coaching because everything is so intertwined that no matter what people say, hey, do you work on this? Can I come to you for this? My answer is always yes, because the thing is never the thing. The thing you think you're coming for is never the actual root of the problem. It's always six steps deeper. And that's where I work from. One of the things that we were so excited to talk to you about is transitions. I imagine that a lot of people coming to a life coach are either in a transition or looking to transition. Yep. And one of the, you know, this is a dating podcast, obviously. And one of the transitions that we hear a lot about is people that are either going through a breakup, transitioning from being in a relationship to being single or entering into a relationship and, you know, trying to figure out if they've healed from the last one and kind of like what they're doing in the in-between time. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So that was one of the ones that came up. I I love that because I do deal a lot. And that's another reason why people often come to a life coach. Like I don't need therapy for it, but God, I'm really struggling with either you're right, knowing how to get back, if I'm ready to get back in or just how to deal with coming out of it. Because unfortunately what we do in society is we say the best way to get over somebody is to get under somebody else, (laughs) which is the absolute worst thing that you could say to somebody. I I was dealing with a client that that was like, oh, I've been, you know, I got just broke up with somebody and I've been sort of sleeping around and realizing it's making it worse. And there's nothing wrong with sleeping around until it's making it worse. And it made me think about when I was a kid, I'd be like, dad, dad, my knee hurts. And he'd be like, oh, well, if I punch you in your arm, then your knee won't hurt. Or if I just, you know, kick you, then you're right. I feel like that's when we rush into the next relationship too quick, that's what we're doing. We're just piling on. Well, that, and I'd be like, dad, that doesn't make sense because now my knee and my arm will hurt. You know, in that response to that, because I'm so quick. Um, but this is what we do when we then j- jump into the next one, because then the people come to me and it's been just a slippery slide of one bad situation after another. And I mean, I know even for me, I'm divorced and I got divorced and I got really quickly into the next thing. And that ended so badly. And I was hysterical in a puddle on the floor. And it was like a month long relationship. And I'm hysterical in my thirties on my mom's floor. And I remember my mom saying, you know what, this may not actually be about the jerk you were with for a month. (laughs) Hysterical puddle. This might actually be about your divorce. And so really making sure after we really uh, leave a relationship that we deal with the grief because the jumping to the next relationship is trying to avoid the grief. And society wants us to be happy, so it it promotes going to the next one, when really all we're doing is like dragging the wounding and the pain, especially if you've been cheated on, or there's been any sort of deception or ghosting, anything like that. You're just bringing that wounding into the next relationship. And if it's a lovely, healthy relationship, you're going to be the one that makes it unhealthy. So making sure that you go through the process that you don't want to go to go through. The other problem is that, you know, I'll get clients all the time say, I can be alone. I just don't want to. Nope. <laughs> That's too easy. Nope. It's like going to the grocery store hungry. Like you will just accept anything. I tell my clients all the time, do not go on the dating sites because you're lonely. You will just be happy scraping the bottom of the barrel. You won't realize it, but you, but you will do that. And my next big thing is patterns. Notice 
the patterns of what you're doing after every relationship, okay? How is that guy like my last relationship or the one before? Where is the pattern of what I'm choosing so that you can spend that time between to um, work on yourself and getting rid of that pattern so that you can be attracted to new people? Because as soon as one of my friends is like, oh, all guys are jerks. I'm like, all guys are dating are jerks, you mean? Because you're choosing jerks, <laughs> right? Like, you know, um, so really making sure that that you are um, able to do that. And for when clients ask me if they're ready to move on with somebody new, I first ask, how do you feel about men? And if they say like, yeah, guys are kind of losers or guys suck, whatever, you're not ready. You're not ready. If you're still, if you're going into new relationships, already thinking that guys suck, then you're setting that your brain to look for all the ways men will suck. And you are picking that and you are just waiting for that to happen. And whatever you look for, you will find. So Does that count in the um, self-fulfilling prophecy? Yeah. Column? I mean, yeah. It's so, so there's a reticular activating system in the back of your brain. It's like a little um, dime size, actual physical place in the back of your brain that takes in all the information that you are getting 24 hours a day and it filters it for what's necessary and what's not necessary. And so it filters it by what you think about the most. So if you think about guys being awful and sucking all the time and being jerks and liars and cheaters, then you're telling that spot in the back of your brain to start looking for that. So it will start noticing men on TV that are your friends, boyfriends that are the men you have. It will start looking for all of those things or possibilities where a guy could be doing that to you versus changing it to like, okay, I'm going to decide that I'm going to go through my healing enough so that I'm not thinking that way. And I'm looking for ways where men can be positive. And then you'll start noticing in society ways where men are positive and happy and wonderful communicative partners. I have a question on what you said about dating apps and feeling lonely. Yeah. Is it like a scale? Because all I could think when you said that is if I didn't feel lonely at all, why the fuck would I be on the app? Fair, fair. So I look at it as a cup of coffee. Like I think of men as the way we choose friends. We choose friends because, wow, we meet somebody and they're adding something fun and awesome to our life. Could we live without a lot of our friends? Absolutely, right? We have our like best friend we could never survive without. But most of our friends, sure, if they moved away or shit got complicated, we could live without them, but they are the whipped cream of our life. And I look at relationships that same way of like, you have to fill your cup of coffee and not be looking for a man to fill that because, because when we look for somebody else to fill that, right, they're never going to be able to do it. So you got to be walking around with that full cup of coffee, meaning if no guy comes, you're going to be okay because you have a full cup of coffee. If he comes, he's going to be the whipped cream on top. And whipped cream is fucking great. And we all love whipped cream and we would love coffee with whipped cream on it. But coffee is also delicious without it. Does that make sense? So that men should be this, or, or whoever we choose to date, should be this awesome added to our life instead of the need. As soon as they become the need, then we put too much artificial need on them to fill something they're never going to fill because they're human and they're going to get it wrong and they're going to screw up and they're going to do things that are wrong. And if we are just waiting for them to screw up because we're waiting for them to fill that cup of coffee, they're never going to be able to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you said it, I was a little like, yeah, let me tell you when I'm not feeling lonely at all, I don't even open that thing. 
Yeah. Like I got the app on my phone. I'm not even checking it. I don't even care to check it. I don't even have an inkling to think about it. But then suddenly I have, you know, a night off or something because uh, I'm usually working at night and I'm home and I'm hanging out and I'm like, oh, this would have been a nice night to like be with someone. Right. And it's it's moments like that that I realize like I am alone. So it's kind of more that where you're suddenly like, oh, it would be great to have somebody in my life for these moments as well. You know? Yep, absolutely. And I'm single too. And I, I do that too. But had you ever noticed that you, the lonelier you are, when you're scrolling, the more likely you are to swipe right on a guy that you're like, eh, you know, this guy probably isn't what I need or want or like, but I'm going to, but I'm feeling lonely. So I'm going to take the chance that maybe isn't the right chance. No, because I have not had a boyfriend in a very long time. So I think I'm pretty good, even in my lonely moments, still right. keeping my standards where they're at. Uh, I would like to think so. So, cause that's, that's the other part of loneliness, right? I think is something I say to myself is like, well, if I wanted a boyfriend that badly, I could have one. Yep, like yep. If, if you were willing to take anybody to fill that slot, we could all have somebody fill that slot, you know, yep. Yep. boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever you date. Right. So. Yeah. And I'm with you. I've been, see, I haven't had a long-term relationship in this year will be eight years. So I'm right there with you. And people are like, you can't find someone or, you know, they'll look me up and down and be like, wonder, wonder what's wrong with her. That it's like, no, no, no. It's not that I can't find somebody. It's that I'm waiting for that right partnership. And yes, same thing. I totally go through those, those spells of like, oh, fuck. I mean, I had one earlier today where I was like, oh man, it's been a while since I got any, like, and I always call them Dorito boys, like just the fuck boys, right? Doritos, like delicious when you're eating it. And then later you're like, oh, yeah, I really shouldn't have been doing that. So, you know, I go through my things of like, oh, well, maybe just at least some Dorito boys. So for sure, snack size, not too snack size, but, you know. Yeah, I'm not saying I've never had a Dorito boy here and there. <laughs> it, hasn't been, it hasn't been a celibate, you know, long time. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, this, this is an interesting thing. I think women often battle more than men. This like, I, I want to date intentionally. I want to find the right person for me and not settle and lower my standards. And at the same time, though, I want to have fun in the process. And I'm a human that has needs. And I want to still like have sex and kind of I don't, I don't want to say put a bandaid on the loneliness because now it sounds like, oh, we shouldn't be doing that. But you know what I mean? I feel like like men, it's like they just date and they're like, ah, all right. I didn't see it going somewhere with that one, but I'll hook up with that one or whatever. And I feel like women, there's often this pressure where it's like, if you want to be dating intentionally, don't you even fucking think about having a little fun with this guy over here that is not yeah. your husband. You know, right. like yeah, I yeah. think that starts to weigh on us. Oh, for sure. And that's why I said, like, I just told my girlfriend this morning, I'm like, I I'm going to go back to Dorito boys. And she was like, yeah, sure. Why not? So I think it's about, and I, and with clients, my first thing, as I would say is, are you good with boundaries with yourself? Mm. Right. Because what happens is I've got a wonderful, amazing girlfriend. Her boundaries are shit. So she's like, yeah, this guy's not great. She's a mother. She's like, oh yeah, this guy's not great, but like the sex is good. Or he's got this thing going on and I'm just going to sleep with him for a little while. Here we are two and a half years later, you know? Yeah. And so just making sure that you know what you're doing if you're doing that category. So I had a great friends with benefits for, you know, on and off for a couple of years because we were very, very clear that we loved having fun together, but neither of us for very specific reasons could have it be a long-term relationship. And that was perfect because we were very clear about what we want. So if you can compartmentalize absolutely like go for it and get your needs met. Cause I also think that 
you know, sex is meant to be enjoyed. And I think that mm-hmm. we should waste our bodies. I'm like, dude, again, these tits are not getting any higher, people. I got to enjoy them while they're still somewhat on my chest, you know? So I'm like, somebody's got to see me naked pretty soon. So, you know, why not? Why not go out? And I think that's one of the joys of being single is the opportunity to sleep with whoever we want, date whoever we want, do ridiculous, crazy things if we want, try women or try two guys or whatever you want. That's one of the beauties is getting to have, you know, people like, oh, you haven't had long-term relationship. I'm like, I date internationally. I mean, I travel and I date guys from all over the world or just, you know, you guys, you know, living in New York and living where you are, you get to meet all sorts of amazing, cool people that might not be the love of your life, but man, you've had amazing experiences getting to know all different kinds of people because you've been single and why miss out on that while you're just focused on, is this going to be a husband? Yeah. Ho phase was the term I was trying to think of. Oh yeah. Women have ho phases and men don't call it that. That's exactly what I was trying to think of. Man is like dating dating intentionally or ho phases seems like you got to pick between the two. Um, Whereas you're right. I think men are a little bit more broad with like, well, I'm always kind of in a ho phase if I'm going to get that. And if it turns into something amazing, great. Like I, how many dates have I been on with guys where I'm like, well, I don't see it going anywhere, but do you just want to fuck? And they're like, sure, whatever you want to give. If you just want to be friends, let's do that. If you want to fuck, let's do that. If you want to get married, let's do that. Like I'm, I'm really down for wherever it goes. <laughs> so annoying to me. And yet I could take a lesson from that, right? Because how many times I've been on a date and not present because I'm trying to figure out what category I'm putting him in. So I'm not even present and open in the way I mm. like to be because I'm already putting them in a box. Whereas I wish I was a little bit more like a guy of just being open to like wherever it goes. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to be yeah. said for that. On that note of of openness, we got a lot of questions from our listeners about balance, sort of in between either when you're dealing with heartbreak or kind of going to the next relationship of balancing being vulnerable and kind of opening yourself up again, but also not being naive. Of if you felt like, you know, the wool got pulled over your eyes or you felt like you didn't trust your gut feeling in the last relationship. And what advice would you have for kind of striking that balance? Yeah, that is a, that is a tough one because it's per person and people say, oh, you can trust again. I never encourage people to forgive sooner than they're ready. I mean, forgiveness is a thing that it comes when it comes or it doesn't come at all. And you can never push forgiveness and you can never push trust. You are where you are on that. So I never encourage people like open up more, be more vulnerable. Sometimes we look at the reasons why you're not vulnerable. So I wait for a client to say, I want to be more vulnerable than I am. So if the listener is right now saying, I want to be more vulnerable in relationships, then let's look at how to do that. But if you were like, I am not there and I am not ready. And you feel, you can feel the wall in your body. Oof, you may not be ready to date. You may want to do a little bit of work because it should be somewhat of a flexible door when you're dating. And people need to earn the right to have you be vulnerable. A guy needs to earn it. You know, you don't want to be super vulnerable and open on the first date because you got to protect your heart. We all do. So it's about what do you need to feel safe in order to be vulnerable? And I would actually have people make a list, right? If you're in the dating, what do I need from a guy to be vulnerable? There's all these great TikToks out there talking about men keep saying, oh, we want women to lean into their feminine, but are you making us feel safe to lean into our feminine? Probably not. I mean, I I lean pretty heavy masculine when I'm on a date 
for that protective wall of A, are you going to murder me? But B, like, I don't know, you know, like, let me, let me find out about your mother issues first before I really lean into this one here. Tell me about your mom. But um, people don't, people need to earn your trust and your vulnerability. So knowing what it takes for you to be open. So going back and thinking about where's relationships where I could be open, even friendships or relationships with family members. What did I need to feel safe enough to be vulnerable? And then watch for those things in the relationship. Yeah. Like this is a mini example. Um, with friendship, there's a girl I've known for a while now and I publicly talk about having herpes. She just told me that she also has it, Mm -hmm. but like, me being open about it, people like reveal that stuff to me all the time. And it's, so it's an interesting thing where it's like, oh, we were friends, but there still was this kind of building level of trust that then she suddenly revealed that to me. And I was, I mean, obviously surprised because I was like, oh, we've been friends. I'm kind of surprised. I don't know. But at the same time, you're like, oh yeah, it was when they felt fully safe, fully comfortable to share that. Yeah. And, and, and that could be about them feeling safe in the relationship with you. And it could be their safety in themselves. Like to be able to say that out loud to another person takes yeah. a lot inside yourself. Right. And then how are oh, they? I know. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, you I know more than everybody. Yeah. <laughs> more than, more than the average bear. So sometimes it is about our relationship that, it, that allows somebody to feel safe, you know, and to be open. And sometimes it's really about them being able to be okay in themselves to be able to to say it and to go there and admit things to ourselves. I mean, that's the hardest thing. It's hardest to admit things to ourselves than it is ever to anybody else. Here's an interesting question someone had here. Um, How to manage the fear of disappointment when something is going well? Mm. So I think a part of that too is right to manage your almost level of excitement is often how I hear my friends phrase it, where they're like, I'm trying to not have my expectations increase and like, take it one day at a time, but I'm really excited about like this new, new guy or new girl. Yeah. So I think that, so when I work with a client on this, it's about, I never want someone to dampen their excitement, right? Cause it's never going to be as great as it is in the beginning. So I hate when people are like, Oh, I'm, I'm not going to get excited. Well, you know, he's going to shit in front of you later. Right. So like, why not be excited now? Right. When you think he that farts will not be it. exciting. Right. <laughs> so it's never going to be this good. So allow the cocaine high now. Right. I mean, that's really what's happening is that high, but know that it is what it is. So don't make plans on that high. I love the high of a new guy. And I'm, I sit there with my girlfriend, we joke, we're like, oh my God, like I'm too old to have kids, but like, let's name all 17 of our kids. Like we get super silly with it. Like I can't wait to be planning my wedding next week. Be silly, be fun, enjoy it. <laughs> don't make plans, like real plans. Like we make ridiculous plans, um, but don't make real plans from that place. Don't let that go um, go further because that because it's not the pain of the enjoyment. It's the pain of what you projected that didn't end up happening. It's the hope that is the painful part. So just say, this is super fun right now and I'm loving it and it's great. And I I can't, I'm super excited for this to be this fun for this long. And I feel like that's why often shorter term relationships can hurt more than longer term. We got a couple questions Mm -hmm. about that, about like, why is that? For me, I feel like it's because I never got to find out. Like I never did get to see him shit. 
Yep. <laughs> you never saw the bad stuff. So you just projected all the wonderful stuff, which is what we're doing in the beginning, right? We don't know the person. So we're taking all the things we want and we're putting them on this person and making this person wonderful, which is why we love that beginning stage because we're not dating the person. We're dating our image of what we want this person to be. And then they slowly show us who they actually are that dissolves away. And then we decide, can I really be with this person? Which is also why I tell people, do not make long-term plans. Do not move in together. Do not get engaged because you're not dating that real person. You haven't seen them shit yet, right? So don't date them until <laughs> that. But it's, and I, and I hate to juxtapose it with this, but it's really true when I work with people who have had a miscarriage. Yes, it is the pain of the moment of this not working out and what's happening this moment. But the long-term pain is that you already thought about kindergarten, high school, who they're going to be. And it's letting that dream die that is the most painful thing. And it's the same with a short-term relationship. I think actually the same thing is true about what's hardest about my grief with my dad. My dad died five years ago. Mm -hmm. And- Actually, I think what's harder than thinking about his death or thinking about like things in our past is reaching milestones that he's not here for or thinking ahead to like, I'm already sad that he's not going to be at my wedding. I am single as fuck. There is Mm -hmm. no need for me to be sad about this. I'm going to be plenty sad then. I don't need to be sad about it now, but I am. Yeah, because your brain in a neuroscience way, your brain made a decision about how your life is going to be, what it's going to look like, because our our brain wants certainty in everything. It's also when we get into a relationship and we can't just be open for whatever happens. No, that is scary for the brain. So the brain wants certainty. So it makes an artificial decision of how this is going to go. Same thing. You were promised a dad well into your 60s or 70s. That's what that's the game. That's what you're promised. So you were promised that all these things were going to happen and your brain makes an actual groove in your head for that to happen. And it's like a record player. And so getting it off that groove is the painful part of starting that new groove of, oh, it's not going to be like that. You're actually rewiring your brain and that's why it can take time. That's why all kinds of grief takes time because you are making a new neural pathway in your brain. So I like to think of it as pulling up the needle and you have to make a new groove of this is what my life is now, whether it's chronic pain, death, death of a relationship, because your brain says, no, 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 but that's how it was supposed to go. And it keeps fighting that of all the things you should have, you should have had. So it's mini deaths, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's the death of him and then the f- future experience deaths. So you just keep having those those mini deaths. So is it almost like you should have the fantasy moment with your friend where you're planning the wedding and then at the end of the conversation go, we've only had dinner once? Yes, 100%. Like, Brilliant. Like, yes, to realize okay. you are being super silly. And then, yeah, coming back to reality and being like, okay, and and he takes a shit, right? And <laughs> like, we're guys and seen right back to reality who knows what he is right and to be that good friend that because the other problem we have when we're friends with somebody who's dating whether we're in a relationship or dating is that we want the best for them so we start sort of injecting this artificial but it's going to be so great and they're going to be so awesome and you know I had a situationship and recently my best friend was like no 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 but like it could be like this and I'm like no we are hurting me 
by mm-hmm. by thinking the best. Actually, he just doesn't fucking like me. And that is okay. And that's the pain I have to deal with. But she wants to save me from that pain. So she's like, no, right. no, no. So it's watching that we that we do this in our own life of saying he's going to take a shit, but also making sure that we're not doing this to our friends, that we're not artificially like, because we have fantasies for our friends and family too, of how this is going to work for them. Keep that shit to yourself. Because sometimes that is also the pain of what other people's, you know, expectations, as I'm sure it's a pain when you hear other people say, wish your dad was here for this. Your dad would have loved this. And that can be beautiful. Oh God. It can also oh, be. People say that all the time. Why do yeah. people say that? Super oh gosh. People say horrible things. I mean, it's amazing. It, trying to be helpful and loving. Yeah. Right. And you're like, I wish my nails were longer so I could claw your face off right now. But instead, society says I have to smile and say, oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I I've tried to to learn that, like most people, nobody's well, at least I would hope not. Nobody's saying that to be shitty. And like people think that they're saying something like sweet or like people will say something like, you know, oh, I just miss him every day. No, you don't. Yeah. You miss my dad every day. Sorry, that's bullshit. Yep. Totally <laughs> don't. You don't. I don't miss him every day. I get literally like I don't at this yeah. point. I'm lucky that I don't think about it actively every day. Yeah. You definitely don't. Random right? person. That would be fucking awful. If you were missing yeah. my dad every day, you'd probably need this far later. That person would probably need therapy, right? Like, what is going on that you can't go a day without? Yeah. Absolutely. It's amazing. No matter what, you know, painful thing you, you go through, it's amazing the things that, that people say, because we don't, not because they're bad, but because we don't teach people how to deal with pain and grief. I have a a client who's doing a podcast. She lost a child uh, when she was 14 and how all the horrible things people say to you, the weird things, you know, same with being single, right? Like the things that people say to you, like, Oh man, if you just, I mean, I've had people be like, yeah, but like, have you ever thought about getting back into the gym? Oh my um, God. Oh, ah. I'm mean, like all the time. Or like, maybe, do you think maybe if like, out of nowhere, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not dating anybody. Yeah. But do you think if you finally like did your hair a little different, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Yep, that's dick. the reason. That's, oh my God, you're right. Curls. I haven't found the love of my life because I don't have curls. Thank it's- you. So helpful. It's like I'm in the movie She's All That, and all I have to do is take this bun out and like shake my hair out, and next thing yeah. you know. Yeah, I used to wear glasses every day, and then I stopped wearing uh, glasses, and I'm like, but where is he now? I took the glasses off. He should be here now. Aren't he so much hotter now? This is why I don't understand. Yeah. Yep. Somebody submitted this, and it was not me, but I do. I'm also wondering. Somebody wearing yellow submitted this. It wasn't me. <laughs> it definitely wasn't me. Uh-huh. Don't worry, people it's ask me in that. Certainly. This is for somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) So somebody wrote in and asked about handling the ego death of being wrong about the person that you thought was the one or just in a breakup in general, like being so wrong and realizing later all the incompatibilities that you either overlooked or just didn't see, or maybe you ignored gut feelings or whatever it was. But like, what would your advice be on overcoming that or handling that. Yeah. Start being nice to yourself. Mm. Right. Because every hindsight is 2020 for a reason. Learn from, Ooh, there were some signs that this person wasn't right. If there were, sometimes there are absolutely no signs, but if there were signs, 
great. I'm going to stop uh, stack that away for future relationships, but your brain. So what happens is that your ego and by ego, I actually just mean the voice in your head. That's mean to you all the fucking time, right? We all have that voice and that voice is there to try to keep us safe. And although it's mean to us, it's mean to us in a way where it's trying to keep us safe and small. And so what happens is when we have a relationship that hurts, that ego comes in because the brain can't identify between physical pain and emotional pain, which is why sometimes we say, my heart hurts so bad. I feel like I'm going to die because your, Mm. your brain doesn't actually know the difference. And so the ego comes on and says, whoa, 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 whoa. That was so painful. We barely got through it. Let's not do it again. Let's, let's just quit now while we're so far behind. Let's just never date again. Let's never put ourselves out there again. So it starts being really mean to you. Well, didn't you see that? It is because you have straight hair. It is because you're fat. It is, right? Like it finds, I mean, mm-hmm. ego loves when someone says something mean to me. It's like, oh, I'm going to file that away for two in the morning. You know, I'm like, it's not because of my weight. And then two in the morning, my ego's like, it's because of your weight, right? Like it does all the things because it's trying to keep you from ever getting hurt again. So it's trying to do it for a good reason, but we have to decide to not listen to it. And one of the ways is to have compassion for ourselves. So I was in a very abusive relationship many years ago, and I can easily look back and get really mad at at myself and say, why the hell did I date him? Why the hell did I put myself through that? I would never do it. Happened to me recently where I was telling somebody about it and they were like, you, you let a man put your hand, his hands on you. You did. And it sent me to like a 50, right? Um, again, I keep my my nails very short, so I can't claw people's face off. It's really, it's one of my tools. Um, to not claw people's face off. Your toolkit, yeah. It's in my toolkit, just nail file. That's all that's in my toolkit anymore. Yeah, just that's all you need for other. My toolkit is these hands, bitch. <laughs> yes, yes. I needed that shoulder work out of a good punch. Um, but I. But people say, how could you do that? And I had to stop and say, I didn't do that. Me at 41 as a life coach with the experience I have had, I didn't do that. But that 30-year-old version of me who didn't know any better, she did. And I can either hate her or I can have compassion for her. And so I choose compassion for her. And I just had this come up. I do a group call and we were talking about this specific thing. And a woman raised her hand and said, can I have that compassion for the, for the girl from yesterday? Or does it have to be 10 years ago? And I said, you can have compassion for the girl that did the thing this morning. Right? Because you are different. If you have enough perspective to see that and go, oof, then it's because you're a new version of yourself. We have to have compassion for the old versions of us instead of hating them. And that is where that deep healing comes from. So I will sometimes do that inner child work with a 30-year-old version of myself and say, hey, like sit her down and say, this wasn't your fault. This was the best you could do. And I love you. And I'm proud of you for doing the best you can. And don't worry, we get out, right? Sometimes it's just about showing her we get out. We're okay now any version of you. And it can be the version of you this morning. Look, I'm better now. So we, we, none of us give ourselves enough compassion. I think what's hard and what I've personally found hard in my life is like, 
holding yourself accountable, but showing yourself compassion at the same time Mm. for when you maybe do like repeat a pattern that you know you shouldn't and you're aware of the pattern, but it happens again. And you're like, how do I self-talk to myself in a way that is holding myself accountable and not just like, you know, if you're just total compassion, you just go, oh, well, you know. Yeah, well, listen you know. today. Well, right. you know, I got to forgive myself. So we don't have to reflect on that at all. I forgave myself and we're fine. You, right. you know, like there's an interesting line and I feel like that's often when, for me, uh, I've noticed that's when like negative self-talk comes to play is like when I mess up, I'm having that like negative self-talk. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I don't want to not hold myself accountable for something. Right. You don't want to slip into toxic positivity. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. So the toxic positivity, because that's a that's a term that gets thrown around all the time. But really, what toxic positivity is, and people be like, "Oh, you know, you're such a happy person." That's toxic positivity. No, it's not. I'm truly happy because I'm dealing with my deep shit. So, so true. Being positive is I deal with my shit. Meaning, and by deal, with, and we talk about dealing with people with our shit. But what does that really mean? It means allowing ourselves to feel the feelings. Feelings have to move, feel, they have to be felt in order to be moved through. So toxic positivity is I'm going to choose not to feel my feelings and just decide everything's great and get a new sign from Hobby Lobby that says live, laugh, love, right? That everything happens for a reason. You can have that belief that everything happens for a reason as long as you are feeling the feelings. So holding accountable, I think is still sort of a harsh term. Um, I would be a little softer with it and say, okay, I'm going to look at my past. I'm going to forgive me for my past. And the way to forgive yourself for your past is to say, here's the way is I'm not going to do it in the future. Here's the way I'm going to learn from it. It's the same thing when a client comes to me and says, um, well, my husband does this or my partner does this, but he's sorry. Well, he's sorry. And what? He's saying he's going to be better. Yeah, he's going to be better is a lie, number one. Anybody that tells you, like, I'm going to do it differently. The next question right. is, and how? So you see that, do it to yourself too. Wow, I handled that really bad. And I'm going to be better next time. So the holding accountability is, how am I going to be better next time? What is going to be different next time? So that you can start rewiring your brain to look for ways that you're going to be different. Whether you decide that in yourself, whether you talk to your best friend, like, hey, I'm not going to do this in the future, or I'm going to notice this, or can you help me notice this? After my divorce, I got really scared going back to this idea of, can we trust ourselves? I got really scared that I wasn't trustworthy. And I'd done a lot of work on myself, but I still said to my best friend, hey, I don't know how much I can trust myself, but I trust you. Can you, do you mind taking on, because you can't put that on somebody, but do you mind taking on a little responsibility and in stepping up and being honest with me when you see things going bad because people just trusted me. Well, that looks bad, but she says everything's great. So it must be great. Like, ha, maybe don't trust me anymore. <laughs> I not be so trustworthy. <laughs> so, you know, bringing people along in that. So it's, it's really about whether with you or another person deciding to change needs actual tactile action. That's why every time someone's like, oh, but he's, he says he's going to change. That doesn't mean shit until he shows you exactly how. There has to yeah. be a plan. Well, we love a plan. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, oftentimes I feel like where people are on 
completely different ends of the spectrum in receiving the line, I'm going to change. There's mm-hmm. people that are very forgiving, that they're very, they keep giving chance after chance. And then there's people that are maybe more so like me that I'm like, yeah, I don't believe it for a fucking second. Like, yeah. but then maybe I'm too harsh. I don't give any room for the change to come. And, the so more, and you know, somewhere in the middle with that, right? Yeah. Well, I'm curious if, let's say you date men, right? Yeah. I've been listening to the podcast, so, uh, but I didn't know if that was exclusive. So um, I have so many words for that drummer. God damn it. Anyways. Um, I mean, feel free to insert it here. What <laughs> <laughs> the drummer said to me, I'm going to change. Tell me what. <laughs> he saw her, right? He saw her. He saw me. I was like doing the dishes and I was like, he fucking saw you. Yes. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. No. And, and you made a little comment of, um, well, maybe I'm being too harsh, but I think if you, there's something to over apologize. I was like, slam my door. And I was like, yep, we're talking about that tomorrow. There is absolutely something to the over apology. Um, because you apologize, you're confident and comfortable in what you did wrong and taking the appropriate amount of responsibility for it. And after that, you let go. It's the person who knows they fucked up and keeps going Mm -hmm. with new lies. So, yeah, but I think if a guy screwed up really bad and he came to you and he said, hey, look, I screwed up. This wasn't, I did this. It wasn't acceptable. In the future, I plan on changing that by doing this, this, and this. Is there anything else you need from me in the future if something like this starts to happen? I think you'd be pretty forgiving. Yeah, but I think the problem is we don't get the in the future plan. We just get that I'm really sorry and I take accountability. Right. And because women email this podcast, we had one recently and she was like, well, he took accountability and we're like, okay, but accountability is that mean, where's the rest of the thing. And I feel like, I don't know if that's often we sit there go, Oh, am I a bitch? That's like, and what are you going to do about it? But essentially what are you going to do about it? Like, yeah. So I think we also forget what actual accountability is. Accountability is not, yeah, you're right. I did that. I'm sorry. It is. Here's, it is yes, I'm sorry that I did this. And here's what I did. Here is what I did wrong. That is actual accountability. And part of the accountability is to say, and here's how I'm not going to do it in the future. A blatant, I'm sorry, doesn't mean anything. It's a get out of jail free card. Whether that is a family member, whether that's a friend, you have to show how it will be different for true accountability and true I'm going to change. And the reason that women, or I should say people, because men do this too, the reason we give chance after chance is because we can't hold our own boundaries. It's not about being a wonderful, loving, forgiving, great person. It's about not being able to hold our boundaries and being taught as women that we should be forgiving and accommodating and boys Mm -hmm. will be boys and men will screw up Mm. and, you know, don't worry, they love you and they'll come back. And that's just societal patriarchy bullshit that we're fed. And then we think it makes us being forgiving, makes us a good person. And you can forgive somebody and still kick them out of your life. <laughs> right. Yep. I've forgiven lots of men who have done terrible things to me. Doesn't mean I still want to be friends with them or have them in my life. Yeah. Isn't there a saying that's like forgiveness is for you? Yeah. Like when I forgive someone, it's like, it's, I'm letting go of the thing that was bothering me or the anger or whatever it is. Yeah. Like forg- yeah. forgiveness is really a gift to yourself. It's not so much a gift to the other person. Right. Because, I mean, how many of us have maybe, maybe you guys have never screwed up, but I have totally had people be like, man, I've, I've been mad at you for like a year. Man, I've held this grudge since high school. I'm like, bitch, I can't remember your last name. So <laughs> it hurt me. And I don't mean that to be the dick it sounds like, but 
it didn't hurt me. It hurt you all those years. You carried that for that many years. Like, damn, you burned a lot of calories holding on to that shit. But I didn't, it didn't mean anything to me. You know, I mean, I was in a relationship with, with a guy who actually didn't give a shit if I was mad. Man, he, look, mm-hmm. one little look in his eye of him being unhappy and I was right there to fix it. What can I do? But man, I was pissed. And he was like, Psh, don't bother me none. Right? Yeah. It, oh, it's infuriating. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and but I there's was, a... I'm going to stick this relationship out and show you how to be sorry. He's like, yeah, go for it, lady. Right? I'm like, ooh, yeah. I'm going to show you what sorry is by staying with you for six more months. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to have sex with you so good tonight to show you how sorry you should be. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah there's some other quote that's like, sometimes the people that hurt you don't care. Yes. And that's another thing that you harbor. You, you want them to care so bad. And it's like, the truth is a lot of times they don't care. So yeah. holding on to all that stuff, it's like, it's hurting you. It's a, they have no idea. They have no idea that they even hurt you or they just do not care. Don't care. Which is what harsh, but it's true. And I, you know, I, and I just said this recently to a client um, where they were like, yeah, but, and then he like immediately said, sorry. And I said, yes, he did. Cause he wanted you to shut up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that is a well, lot of times when we're dating dicks, right. That's a lot of time. It's they'll, people will say, I'm sorry to get you to stop. Not because they really mean it. Well, there's also something too. Mm-hmm. You have an, a, a conflict with somebody. Let's say it's a romantic relationship or friendship. Mm-hmm. You go to resolve the conflict, and I've had people say this to me where they're like, I still haven't heard an I'm sorry from you. And I'm like, are you looking for an I'm sorry, or are you looking to fix the problem? Mm-hmm. So sometimes, too, the other person is just looking for an I'm sorry, and they read that as the problem is fixed. And it's like, oh, okay. Yes, we can have both. And I'm sorry should be said, but also, what? where are we going with this? Like, is it a productive conversation, or did you just want me to come here and say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, and that was it? You know? I think I think both is important though. Like cuz I, yeah, cause I like feel it's like important, but it's like Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, just the I'm sorry. You're right. I think both go go together well. Um the I'm sorry is not enough, but I have had some been with some men that were really stubborn and I'm sorry was hard, but they could say yeah. Okay. Well, in the future I will make sure that I call you. I will make sure that I do this thing in the future and I'm like, you know, I can, I can get behind that, even though the, I'd love the, I'm sorry, that's too hard at this point for you. But if you're showing me that you're willing to change and you do the change, I'm kind of okay with that, you know, and maybe that's just a, a me thing, but I, as long as they're showing change, I'm pretty good with that. And sometimes people aren't sorry for what they did, but they're willing to change. And that's okay. Yeah. They don't feel like they did something wrong. So for them, and I'm, I mean, I'd rather a no, I'm sorry, than a bullshit one. So they're like, I don't think I handled that wrong, but I want to maintain the intimacy of our relationship, whether friendship or or actual relationship, so I'm willing to change. Because that's definitely been me where I'm like, I didn't do that wrong, but you need something different. I am not sorry, but I can change in the future because I want to maintain this intimacy between us. I, I was just thinking like maybe maybe there's like two kinds of I'm sorry. It's like for me, when I'm thinking about apologizing for something, there's almost two I'm sorry's. There's like, I'm sorry I did that. And then there's, I'm sorry that the thing I did impacted you in that way. Mm-hmm. And like, I think the second part for me is more important. Like the second part for me is more important, I think, that my partner or my friend or my family member or whoever it is, is like cares 
like you were saying, Erica, like it's important to me that this person that I built this relationship with cares that they've impacted me in that way, even if they don't think that they handled it wrong for them. Does that make sense? A lot of times it's like there's an argument within the apology because one person is mad. The other person doesn't fully understand why they were upset or why they disagree. And, and, and and it's interesting that like, we often don't accept that we're so badly like, no, you need to understand. And it's like, I think the truth is the other day you could go, I do not understand why that bothered you. That would never borrow me. I'm still sorry that it did and change our behavior going forward and know that like, even something super basic, let's say like liking hot girls on Instagram's picture. Okay. (laughs) Common fight. Some people have, there's something to being like, I've told you this bothers me. So now if you refuse to change or continue the behavior, you now are really disregarding my feelings. Initially, you had no idea that I would care about this and you still don't understand why I care about it. But hey, now that I've brought it to your attention, I would appreciate it if there was some form of action. I mean, that one's a simple one. Just stop. But just stop. Just but you know what I mean? Like, but you know, like that's such a basic thing. That's like a lot of men will be like, I don't understand. I don't see why this is a problem. And women, it's like, I think sometimes we have to let go of being like, getting them to understand why fully understand why and just yeah. like because it's more be about the change yeah, yeah just be about the change i just would like you to stop doing it it really bothers me and the fact that you keep refusing to change it means you don't care that it bothers me right yeah and, that's that a, that i think sense? that's a better way of expo- of saying what i was what i was trying to say that's like that's exactly what i mean <laughs> that's what here, right like that's what that's what she's here for so to say the things you can't say. yes <laughs> basically um, yes the other nuance there that happens too is, and I've been there, is I'm sorry this hurts you and I'm unwilling to change. Mm. Oh, well, that right? person's being tough. honest. Because that, there's, there's definitely times where it's like, I'm, you know, so like I, I have a lot of guy friends and sometimes guys will be like, well, you're in a relationship, you know, the man I'm dating will be like, well, you're in a relationship now, so you don't need to be hanging out with those guy friends or it makes me insecure or it hurts me that you are spending time with them. And, and I feel very bad that it hurts them, that it's, I'm watching it make them insecure. I'm watching it hurt and I don't want my partner to be hurt. And so I am truly hurt. I'm truly sad that the decisions I'm making that are best for me in my life, I am truly sad that they're hurting my partner and I'm unwilling to change. So then we have to decide, is that a breaking point for you? Is there a way I can make it more comfortable for you or that we can continue this conversation? So it's, I think people go into conversations thinking, I don't like something my partner's doing, so they should definitely stop. I'm like, that is not how life works. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'll change is I'm absolutely unwilling to change. I just want mm-hmm. you to stop being mad. And then hopefully you won't notice next time. Mm. Well, I feel like it, that also what you just said comes from a lens like I'm right, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Not how right. do we solve this? Like the person who wants them to change is like they should stop doing this thing because that thing is bad. Like yeah, bad bothers me, whatever. And then of course, there's more extreme scenarios. That's like, like let's say somebody starts battling some sort of addiction, like they're an alcoholic. Let's even say the addiction is they just keep going to strip clubs. I don't know, whatever. Then I think that hits that territory. Like you said, it's like, well, how long? I mean, you know, is it a deal breaker? Slash, where's the compassion? Slash, is there a middle where you go? How long should I see if there is any growth to try to change? Mm. Yeah. 
And that, I think you know? that goes back to the full cup of coffee, right? Sometimes we want our part, we're so insecure that we need our partner to stop liking hot girls on Instagram because we are so insecure that they must change their behavior because I'm unwilling to look at my insecurities. And I think that is a lot of when we don't do our work on ourselves, we bring all of our wounding right in our trash bag with us. And we say, you are now, I'm, it's too terrifying for me to look at what's in this trash bag. So I need you to be in a certain way that I never have to look at this. Yeah. I mean, I always say, how many followers do they have? Do, do they really have a shot? You know, <laughs> that's another way to look at it. I'm like some super mo- You think Adriana Lima? Like, all right. You know, okay, you go um, ahead and message her. We'll see. Yeah, what go ahead. DM, DM her. Let I'm me know. Same there and DM Rihanna. <laughs> By the way, if you can sleep with Rihanna, let, do it because Dude, I want. If to, Rihanna, I, if Rihanna replies to you, I'm going to be excited. <laughs> so. Right. So I, I lived in Portland, Oregon for a while, and I became accidentally friends through a bunch of old people. I became friends with a famous uh, basketball player. Oh. I didn't know he was, but I was like, you know, making fun of him for being super tall and whatever. And he's like, I play basketball. I was like, oh, well, my friend's husband plays on this league. And he's like, no, not on the men's league. I play professional. Became- <laughs> my friend's husband played with the Y. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, do you guys play on the same team? And he was like, no, no, this is like a professional thing. Like, this is ridiculous. So we became friends. And then I remember the guy I was dating, I was like, oh, do you know this person? Because like, I kind of became friends and we exchanged phone numbers and he sends me memes. And he was like, you should sleep with him because I want to be dating the girl that slept with that dude and I was like I'm sorry what it became a big he's like no I want to be like yeah my girl fucked da, 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 da. and I was like okay that's a whole mm. other level there so you know again <laughs> you can sleep with a supermodel I just want to watch so now you guys know way too much about my kinky sex life well, I don't have one we've, we've established that but like it's going to be kinky someday is what I'm trying to tell you when I get a sex life it's looking up from here. That's right. It can't look any further down from here. So it's only going to go up. It's only going to go Girl, up. Girl, I hear you. <laughs> well, I mean, this this brought up, I was partly like, how do you feel about cheating? Or is that something you kind of don't have to have an opinion or get to have an opinion about being a life coach if someone came to you being like, uh, my husband cheated on me, but I want to work through it. Or I've been cheated on. How do I get through it for the next relationship? You know? Yeah, I have I have absolutely no opinion on cheating one way or the other. So when somebody comes to me and says, I cheated, we just simply look at why. We look at what, because there's literally thousands of reasons why somebody cheats. Most of them have nothing to do with the other person. And if somebody says they yeah. want to work through it, I have no, no opinion on whether or not somebody wants to work through it. And if they do want right. to work through it. Those can be some of the healthiest, strongest, because they're finally talking for the first time, usually. And Mm -hmm. those end up being the healthiest relationships there are out there. A lot of the healthy relationships that we see in the world, they are because those people got through cheating or something really, really dramatic that forced them to finally talk and communicate. A lot of couples will not go to couples counseling until, or get any counseling until somebody cheats. And then they're finally able to have those conversations. So sometimes it can actually, dare I say, be a good thing for the relationship because they finally have the ability to look. So I don't it's say- It's an interesting lens cheat. to look at it. Sorry. I know we yeah. were like joking around about cheating and famous people. And, you know, <laughs> but but I, it's just, it's. I'm sorry. I know we're trying to wrap. It just sparked my brain, though. I figured you yeah. kind of can't have an opinion in that sense. Because if someone comes to you and they're like, this is what happened, and I'm trying to move forward in whatever way they decide, yeah, you got to be neutral on that front. 
Yeah, nothing yeah. anybody, I mean, it's really easy. And in my personal life, I'm a shithead like everybody else, right? Like I'm like, that lady's a bitch, that guy's an asshole. Like, and most of my friends are therapists and we are the most awful people in our personal life. But <laughs> as soon as, right, like I just went to a dinner a while ago and I came in and I was like late and I was like, this fucking bitch. And blah, blah, blah. I sat down and there were like new people I'd never met. And I was like going off. And then someone's like, oh, you know, nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? I'm like, ah, shit, I'm a life coach. <laughs> <laughs> you just are seeing me off duty. You're seeing me. And it's one of the things I love about clients come to therapists or life coach and they always think that they have the worst problem that they're going to be judged that you know you you are dealing with something I've never seen before and my usual answer is mm. I've seen it three times before lunch like you're the third person today with this problem so we are it's not even that we're neutral it's that we understand there is no such thing as a good person or a bad person there's just tools because of the things we've been through, there's just tools that are helpful and not helpful. And if you want to stay in your relationship, then cheating is an unhelpful tool. Being an alcoholic is an unhelpful tool at this point in your life. So we mm -hmm. can work on it. And then that gives the people a place to open up because they know they're not judges. So it's like, hey, this tool isn't working anymore. Let's find a better one. Yeah. Yeah. I like that mindset for it. Yeah. Sorry, I like took the joke and I like, went like, okay, deep. No, no, no. But I think, no, no, no. I, I brought it up because I was like, wait, now this sparks my curiosity uh, on the cheating because it's it's a discussion that often happens on this podcast. Yeah. And so I, I figured don't... you might have a different view because like I said, you kind of, you can't really be biased on certain right. things. And, and I don't always want everybody to judge, jump to, I'm definitely leaving. And that can be the best thing for you. But I always like to make sure that we sit there and say, okay, are you leaving? Because from a healthy place, this is the best thing for you and you cannot or do not want to make repair. Or is this striking the unhealthy part of you you haven't looked at? And if you can work on that, you guys can stay together and have a really healthy, wonderful relationship. My goal is also not to keep people together. Like I always tell people, I love divorce more than anybody else. I think the greatest invention since the wheel is divorce. So I'm not <laughs> like, try to make it work, stick it out. Like, no, I think divorce is lovely if, if that's what you truly need. So I have no opinion on whether or not people stay together. My job is whatever decision you make, let's make sure you're making it from the healthiest place you possibly can. Okay. I think that's a great note to wrap on. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. Anyway, um, we do this again sometime. <laughs> yes, please. I feel like we barely scratched the surface. Definitely. Part two. Yeah. Um, we'll have your information in the uh, description, but just plug right now your socials and where people can find you. Yeah. So um, I do a lot every day on social media. I do um, TikTok and Instagram. I do Instagram lives in the morning where I do what I call laser coaching, which is you come in. Uh, it's usually Mondays and Wednesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you come in and you bring your question and I just do, do help answer it right there for you. So and that is coach Rochelle Indra, which is just my name with coach in front of it. And then I also have a podcast too for people who want to double binge you guys and then binge me after. It's called The Shit They Should Have Taught Us in School, but didn't. So um, yeah, that's great places for people to reach me. And I love DMing people. So always hit me up on Instagram and let me know, oh, I heard you on the show. I love that. Yay. Well, thank you again. This was absolutely incredible. Yay. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. And everyone listening, we'll talk to you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.